Hi everyone, and welcome to the Long River Podcast. I'm Graham Rhodes, and I'm glad you could join me for these conversations on business and investing. Just a reminder before we begin that nothing discussed here today is investment advice and shouldn't be taken as such. With that said, please sit back and enjoy the show. I'm talking with my friend Simon Fu today. Simon's based in Shanghai, and he's a member of the Shanghai Value Investors Club, kind of parallel organization to Value Asia here in Hong Kong. And Simon and I became good friends because we both worked in banks and we both traded a lot of stories about investing in banks. And Simon's kindly agreed to talk with us today about his life, his work, and his journey as an investor, as well as to share with us his insights into Postal Savings Bank, one of the many banks here in China. So, hi Simon, and thank you very much for joining the show. Simon, why don't you start by telling me a bit about yourself? Where do you come from? What do you do? I was born in Hainan Island. For me, I'm I'm just a normal person because I graduated in China and in Lanzhou University, and then I went to UK for my master. After that, I went to Singapore, working there for two years. Then I I came back to China, and I worked for a bank, a state bank, head office for investment banking for seven years. My now I'm just a business owner. I run three restaurants and investment, just my, what do we call them? <laughs> Part-time job. <laughs> actually, actually, side um, hustle. I gained touch in various investments since uh, 2012. And I read Charlie Mungo's book. And then I'm very interested in that. And um, I start my investment from 2016. Actually, I think I'm very normal. I'm not smart, you know. China, no like you, Grant. You are a very excellent student. For me, I'm just a normal student. We we have an exam before the before the university. We call it Gaokao. I just passed the 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 level to to get the to get my to get to the university. You know, so I'm not smart. I'm I'm quite normal. But value investment for me is very important because it changed my life. Because I I listen to Charlie, I listen to Mongo, and I start practice investment since 2016, and I increase my account value to six times. You know, I'm just like me. I can do that just for because I think it's, uh, the luck. You know. Because the times are too short to say anything, but for me, I really think the very investment it is really thing can work. So, Simon, tell me, what does value investing mean to you? Value investment changed my life. I read Charlie's book just like reading a Bible because he told me you have a way to live your life. You know, investment just like just like I I like to play game. I play video game. And certainly, investment let you know then if you can accumulate cash and use it to investment, one day you can totally financial free. You know, for me, this is very important. For me, I don't think I can do anything to make myself to retire early, <laughs> but there are far away to do that. So tell me, when you're Looking at an investment, what did you learn from Charlie Munger about how to analyze a company or how to find opportunities? 
Charlie, for me, it just no teaching me about stop picking. It told me totally change my philosophy about the world, you know. So for me, it just know about investment. And do you think Charlie's teachings are similar to Chinese culture? Yes, it's very similar to Confucian culture. He told you to take responsibility for your family, for your nation, for yourself. So he actually he told you to act rationally. You know, don't counting to avoid those bias for people's misbehavior. I think it's very important. Just like Confucian, Confucian is very rational. He told you to do something to take responsibility, and you have to put some moral or ethical at first of anything else. So I I, I heard Charlie say he has many fans <laughs> in China. <laughs> I'm just one of the fans. So Simon, you said you work full time managing three restaurants. How much time do you find to spend looking at your investments then? Actually, I don't read the social platform like I don't read 今日头条 I don't read any news. I I carefully chose some reliable source for me. I totally every days I spend time reading Financial Times. Today the problem is no too little information, it's too many informations for everyone. It's just like a bomb on. In your air, so I think for today is know how much you read every day is how reliable you read every day. So for me, if I don't go to the restaurant, I sit down and I read a lot. Simon, you've told me you look for simple investments. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about what your ideal investment looks like? I work for a bank for seven years in head office. Actually, my job is to read the read the policy issue by our central government and the central bank. So seven years stand there is quite boring job, you know. <laughs> but but I get a lot of the experience to analyze the bank's portfolio and the bank's operation and what business good, what、uh, what business bad, what which area is、uh, critical for a bank success. So I know very little. My circle is very narrow, unlike others. I think I was very lucky in last six years because the company in my circle essentially encountered something difficulty, and those difficulty made the price drop a lot. And then I got a chance to buy in. So I'm not a professional investment like others to research so many things. Have a philosophy about research. Anything else? No, 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 no. I just know two things: one bank, two game company. Just two things, <laughs> and I'm staying in my circle. <laughs> That's very lucky, and I like that approach a lot. It's hard to know one's limits. Well, it's easy to know one's limits, but it's hard to stay within them. So good for you, Simon. We wanted to talk today about. Banks in China and your investments there. So, as you know from reading the Financial Times, as you do every day, most foreigners have a very, very bad view of China's macro economy, and perhaps an even worse view of the Chinese banking system. What is it that you see differently? I know the debt to GDP in China is very、uh, is nearly three hundred percentages now. It's quite high in developing. Uh, uh, countries, but we have to look in carefully. This like Chinese economy is there any difference from 
what we know from the free market system. But in China, in Asia countries, bank is a support to help those export economy. Export because when when they become industrialization for the whole country, it's very important to, for bank to support those heavy industry, the light industry, something to make bigger. So I think we when we talk about the bank, it's quite different. It's totally a bit different. Foreigners always comparing with those private banks in the free market to the state-owned bank in our Asia exporting nation. So there's a misunderstanding because if you look at the history, those banks, they do something according to government's instrument or according to our credit policy or something else. But they have a purpose. They serve some purpose in the economy. So I think it's a different in this but way. Simon, mm-hmm. isn't this exactly the problem? Because a lot of foreigners worry that state control or state direction of banks means that they won't make good credit decisions. Actually, myself is a part of the forming a credit policies in my bank. The foreigners, for instance, maybe government do a stupid intervention to make the bank to do a stupid blending, then destroy the whole value. But there's just no true what happening in now in China or in in China because you see the large part of the bank portfolio you have to base on what you have in your industry, right? So it is no like we call Tihua Jingji. I don't know how to speak English. Planned economy. Planned economy. We have a lot of bad loans, but economy already already changed to we call it something Jingji, just like capitalism. So mm. The, your bank, you, you have to do it accordingly. So when I researched something for the bank in India, I found that they have a really serious problem, but partially it's because they're planning economy and the, the whole system didn't change to the, to the capitalism. For China now, I don't see this problem because you see what we have in our bank the portfolio. You know that this is not like the stupid loan. I, I, I give you one example. We call it 政府融资平台. I don't know how to speak in English. 政府融资平台, it is a state-controlled share company. Just is they have nothing real. It's just the province, uh, the local governments, they create to borrow money from the bank. Actually, when I get into the bank in 2008, this has become very popular amongst the bank. But two years later, 2008, 2009, and the central government thought this is a real problem. And then so we adjust the bank's portfolio and the, the issue policy to force them to, to withdraw those, those loans. So you see this not like foreigners saying, okay, just a government, uh, ju- just like the, they will do a stupid thing. It is they worry about the bank's bad loan. When the something happened, they, they know that they have to intervention it, in, intervene it quickly. But I think foreigners understand how banks in China are used for policy purposes. And we saw in 2008, 2009, how the banks channeled a massive stimulus into the economy. And I think again, last year, the government used the banks to inject liquidity into the economy. So doesn't that go against the interest of shareholders? 
I think shareholder just want a return, right? When you bank, you have to earn the enough money at the risk that you can control to make make profit for your shareholder. Because when you look at the shareholder, the shareholder of the bank, most of the stay on, right? Like we six largest bank in China are all stay on. So in this sense, they want to do the stupid thing to, to damage their own interest, you know. <laughs> so foreigner worry about maybe they do a stupid things because I think this is why they have the misunderstanding is they think, okay, because they are the capitalism market, they think the intervention of the government should be less and less, no more and more, especially for bank. But for China's economy, you think the government is very important role in the credit expanding circle because they have to decide which one to to expand, which one to assign. This is no very understandable for the foreigner because they never experience like economy in China. So I think basically why they un- misunderstand China's bank because they misunderstand China's economy and how what load the government should play in our credit expanding circle. I think this is a fundamental problem. It's just no say, okay, maybe they don't know bank about this. No, there's totally misunderstanding for the for the circle. Is that true though, Simon? Because Jack Ma gave a speech last year where he made the same criticism. He said that the market should play more of a role allocating capital in the Chinese banking system. Do you agree with what Jack Ma said or do you think he was mistaken? Seems mistaken <laughs> because I see the low early pay issue. Though the issue, they maybe they give the credit to 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 my employees, those young men who earn maybe five thousand yuan per per month. They give it twenty twenty thousand yuan credit for him to buy everything. You know. It's totally disaster. I witness a lot of young men's financial condition become worse and worse, you know, because they don't, they ne- nobody give them so much money to buy things. Just like the key get a credit card, say the daddy give the key a car, say, okay, you can buy everything you want. <laughs> so I think he say something because for investor, you know, respective, I think he just want to, to say something good for Alipay. But Alipay is really, really disaster if uh, if uh, it haven't been stopped to do the easy credit to to expand the market so fast, you know. And you, if you look at the Alipay's portfolio, it have those those small bank, usually a city bank, a small city bank with a SM maybe less than maybe one hundred billion yuan assets. Like like that no that like that small bank they get maybe billions of deposit from other city it's a, it's a very big risk from banking for 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 bank you know because they don't have any ability they don't have a they don't even have a system to control that so I think Mister Ma maybe say something wrong about the whole thing <laughs> and he say that because he's a businessman he's no. He's no expert in banking. He's no expert in, in economy, whatever. Okay, I take your point that Alipay's rapid expansion may have created risks. But what about Jack Ma's point that the traditional banks are too focused on lending against assets and they don't understand how to lend against cash flow? 
which results in many small businesses not receiving enough credit. This is the fundamental problem because why banks always to lend money against the SM because they don't have the reliable financial statement from the small ME company. And usually those small ME owners, they borrow money. In China, you have to monetize the money spending, you know. They don't allow you to spend it to... (laughs) To, to, in, to speculation, house, uh, speculate, uh, speculate uh, stock. So I think the bank, because this is a fundamental problem, it is no bank's problem. If you don't borrow your money against the assets, how can you make sure they would like to pay you mm. in time? How would like to trust them a financial statement? Actually, now, because I work for a bank, I heard the manager say, when they went to research uh, some SME company, they don't look into the financial information they were given. They go to see your factory, go to see your land, to check your bill, to check the, your employment record, see if really you have uh, used so many electricity, you have used so many water to figure out why it's really light in your company. So for the SME, sometimes it's just like a, Black box for a bank, you know, you know nothing, you know nothing, and this is quite special in China because bank have a responsibility was given the responsibility to monitor the spending, you know, to see what your money to use for. For China this year, they have we call it a SME loan. Uh, it was a very low rate, maybe just four percent, but a lot of the owner borrow it to speculate house, to speculate stock. <laughs> because you you borrow maybe millions of uh, yuan for SME, they maybe just need maybe they just need hundreds thousand, but they borrow millions. <laughs> what could you do with the money? Of course you used it to speculate. So isn't this exactly the solution that Alipay offered? Because it processes payments, it has the information that you say the banks are missing. Actually, I think the data is helpful to analyze the people's credit. It's very helpful. But I think because it's company searching for, uh, to, to, to tracing for profit. So the problem it is, of course, you know how much you spend every month, but the information is this is no whole. You know, you only have the spending data. You don't have the fund resource. You know, because when bank they issue they issue a credit card, they issue a loan, they want to see your bank statement to see where is your financial resource, right? So of course, you Alipay, you have a lot of information about where you live and maybe how much bill you pay every month, but they don't have your resource for, for your financial resource. And they mm-hmm. don't require any paper. You know, this is no competition. It's no fair between Alipay and the bank because banks are required to have all the information to issue a credit card. What is your financial resource? What is your job? What is your family? What is your information? But when you go to Alipay, you do nothing. You just uh, sign in and you get two, uh, twenty. You get twenty thousand credit <laughs> easily. <laughs> so don't you so think? Do you agree problem? that Alipay was a systematic risk for the banking system? 
I think if it's bent into an uncontrollable scam, I think it is it's really a risk. But just for my personal opinion, I think if it grows too fast, of course, it's, it is a risk. But if it is not a systematic risk, I don't know that. Okay, let's go back to traditional banks then. Simon, when you're doing your analysis, what kind of things do you look at? Do you read a lot of policy documents still? Or do you focus mostly on annual reports? Or do you go out there and talk to people? Actually, I think I think I spend a lot of time reading the policy, the government's policy, because they have so many paperwork to do. I do a lot of the reading and my job as banker. And then so when I go to research a bank, I'm going to find a bank with the portfolio. I really can figure out what's going on over there. And I have many friends now still working for a bank. So I do the cross-checking. I'm just not looking for the information. Say, a new, I'm not Warren Buffett. <laughs> just read the newspaper and they say, okay, a, a new report, a new everything. No, I, I got to do the cross-checking. What you say in the in the in the annual report is true. How I can how I can figure out and why something is uh, worth to trust, something is not. Because I have a very unique experience, just from two thousand and nine to two thousand sixteen. I have a seven years. Just it's very important credit circles in banking for that time because we experienced after financial crisis. And then the Chinese market, uh, Chinese debt is expanding too fast. And 2008, we have uh, a deleveraging. I think I witnessed the whole process and uh, I witnessed the, the shadow banking, how the shadow banking uh, emerged so fast, how you fed the, the, the balance sheet. Now it's very helpful because I do shadow banking in my bank. Then so when I look into some banks, on your report, I know something information they didn't give about something. So when I look at a Chinese bank's annual report, what should I focus on? What are some of the key things that you look at to feel confident in their balance sheets? For me, I personally, I think retail banking is much safer for the better than the corporate bank because I want a bank with a very diversified portfolio. But retail banking is quite simple. Just he's just looking for his business, looking for his portfolio, and I will find my friends to give me what the credit policy, and I go to see his outlet. So I think for me, I personally like retail bank. So on the asset side, you think retail banking is better because you can more easily assess the asset quality. And because uh, the retail bank is more resilient, the corporate banking, it has a problem because you rely on some big customer. We, we call it 集中度, I don't know how to speak Concentration English. risk. Concentration. Concentration is too high. Concentration is too high. Concentration is too high when this problem because we, you see it has a very high NIN. It has a very high profit. Now mm. is quite high, but the problem is that he rely on maybe a few crimes. And when you see the shadow banking, especially in banks with wealth management, and actually no, wealth bank management is for personal. I say it's about the the wealth management for the they use the wealth management money to farm those corporate. So this oh. is actually 
actually like comes from the shadow. The, yeah, shadow banking. Is shadow banking because we what I learned in university we call it off balance business. Just bank try to bypass the capital requirement. Just do something just like loan. They pay money from the retail and they borrow to the corporate. Okay, so you've you've painted an interesting picture for us. You've explained how in China you have to understand that banks play a different role in the economy than Western banks. You've also said that policy is critical and you spend a lot of your time thinking about the direction the government sets. Then you've laid out for us what you like, which is to find a retail bank because its assets are more diversified and you can more easily verify its asset quality. So why don't we jump from there to talk about Postal Savings Bank, which is a company you've spent a lot of time on recently. Simon, can you tell us a bit about Postal Savings Bank, please? I like Postal Bank because Postal Bank is quite special. Why? It's a payment system. We have a post office everywhere. When I was at university, when I was, when I was still in my bachelor degree, the first card I received is a Postal Bank. At that time, it's not a bank yet. It's just called Youchu, Youchu card. Postal Bank is very different from other banks. It evolved to a bank from a payment system. And it's quite union. Why it becomes so large in essence? Because they, those money, when you pay people, when there was a, you know, China have a Gaokao, right? A lot of students come from the poor and the small village in the western and in the, in the western. And when, when the family went to wire him money, the only one they can file in the village in this post office. So this network gives you a lot of a deposit, a lot of a deposit. And the deposit, the, uh, and the deposit, they used to the small lending. So that's what I like, you know, small lending and larger deposit and a network spending everywhere. So for me, it's a very good, it's a very, very good portfolio. Simon, can I just stop and ask for a moment? What you've described is the is the world before the internet, basically, when you needed to have a an offline branch network like this to move money around the country. But now people can do the same thing with apps, with their smartphones, with WeChat Pay and Alipay. So why why do we still need Postal Savings Bank? Actually, when you wire money through the WeChat and and Alipay, you still need a bank account, you know. Bank account is the basical, is the fundamentary function, you know, that you, you can, you can wire money through WeChat, but at first you have to have a debit card. <laughs> so you can get a debit card. You cannot get a debit card from, from the, from the web bank because those people, you, you, you know, you, you ask people to do something to get a, Get a get a debit card from the for the Wei Bank. We call it 二级账户. It's not 一级账户. It means mm. the money you can wire out of this account. It is has a limit every day. So if you want wire a certain amount larger than maybe five thousand or ten thousand, you need a debit card. And now we have a regulation say each person only have a one debit card in one bank, you know, just like if you open the account in Bank of Communication, you only have one debit card to be your e-ji-zhang-hu. Uh, and mm-hmm. the e-ji-zhang-hu can wire the amount out of this account. So 
when you have your salary, your company to issue salary for you, it needs to wire to your bank account. It cannot wire to your Alipay or WeChat accounts. So you see, debit card is something you cannot avoid of, you know. Even though today, my father, may, sometimes he wire me some money through the WeChat, but he still need a bank account to store the money he needs to wire. So there are five or 600 million people who still live in rural areas in China. And are you saying that for them, the postal network is still going to be their primary bank? Yes. Uh, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you changed your primary bank account? When's the never. last time you changed? Prim- never, right? A lot of never. people never change. Why I'm go to so bored to go to there and change something to have the same function, right? Most people wouldn't change, you know. <laughs> Especially when the bank have so many branches just in your neighborhood. What are you gonna do? You're gonna change it to another bank because it give you more, <laughs> give you more interest. No, you you will not do that. <laughs> so one of the things I I noticed, Simon, reading. Postal Savings Bank's accounts is that it has a very low loan to deposit ratio, which kind of fits the story you told earlier. Lots of people depositing and lending small amounts. But isn't that a sign of weakness rather than a sign of strength? Doesn't that suggest that the bank has a high cost base and hasn't developed the sales channels yet to make use of its funding? Actually, I think you, if you look at his balance sheet, you have a very tight is called the tier one capital because when you want to do more lending you need to have the capital requirement that's the first thing you have a requirement for your capital the second one it is i don't think post bank is been too fast for a good thing for him because when we do banking bank have a credit circle every each bank you have this market share very 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 stable you know you cannot change certainly in maybe a few years. There will be a big problem. When I researched the U.S. bank, when they do this, the very stupid California a listing bank, a listing law in 1980s, uh, you fall then because they expand the balance sheet very fast. There will be a problem. So I think for post-bank, the right strategy is expanding its uh, credit according to the circle. Gradually to expanding its market share, not do it in one day and two days. So when if I see it do it very fast, I will worry about its uh, the quality of its loan. I see. So you don't see that as a problem, and perhaps actually it's an opportunity for them to grow in the future. Yeah. So if you see the last five years, the 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 growth rate is no low. It's double digit. <laughs> I think for right. bank, it's okay. So, Simon, a question for you. When you're looking at a bank like this, which is more important, the management or the industry structure? If I'm looking for a China's bank, of course, it is uh, the management, the lower place in a bank is not very, is not as important as U.S. bank, you know, because in the free market, you have uh, every right to do the thing if the loss didn't say you you are, you cannot do that, but in China, a bank do something just according to the to to the 
to the credit circle according to the government industry policy and do something to, you have to do it according to the rules. No, you, so I think for China, you, yeah, if you look at the management team in the large bank, you found the switch every four years. <laughs> they like playing <laughs> mahjong. <laughs> so the portfolio cannot be changed very quickly. That's why I like China bank, Chinese bank, because nobody can disrupt the competition very fastly, you know. Just like if you are uh, industry bank, you'll be the number one and you used you used to be the number number one. And you will be the number one in next ten years. They won't be the the second one to surprise the first one to become the first one. You know, they don't have the stupid MMA. I have to worry about. And so the management team, <laughs> I don't think they are very important to us, the U.S. bank, because you have a good captain when the ball is shooting in a in a free market. But in China, you just do. According the, uh, you, you just do the credit policy form by the central bank, and then you have you just do your job. You know. So one question I have then: if management isn't important, if management just have to follow the instructions that they're given, you end up relying a lot on the macro economy to drive the fundamentals of your business. And don't you worry that China? again, as you said earlier, already has quite a high level of credit to GDP. And in fact, like the direction of its economic transformation is heading away from credit intensive industries towards industries which use less credit. So maybe the demand for credit will actually decelerate in the future. At the same time, there's like a surplus of capital, which makes the net interest margins lower and lower. Competition is intense. So don't the macroeconomic fundamentals worry you or don't they paint like an unattractive picture? Actually, when we look at the the last year, the last year, the credit increase maybe 19% is really high for last year. So when you say about the debt to the GDP, you see the whole, the, the, the debt is really high. I think I'm worried about that. But like I say, I know, I don't know every bank. But I know post bank will be safer under the circumstance. Like we have uh, something uh, we have to look at for we spend so so much debt. Where the money go to? Where the money go to? Go to infrastructure. Go to stay owned company. Go to in to, to to go to industry or go to real estate. But actually, I think the credit is spent so fast. A lot of money go to real estate. There's quite a risk for the bank. So if you're looking for the credit go to the real estate, I have to figure out what will happen in the future. Will China have a, a just like what happened in 2008, a standard disaster for the, the, the real estate? But when I research them, I feel comfortable. It's okay. It's not as dangerous as the foreigner worry about. And you say the debt, to GDP is really high. I think the Ray Dalio in his book have a better explanation for the thing. For China, because we are the economy with a very strong central bank policy, unlike those Asian countries, the reliable and the, the capital flow, you know, we have a really strong tool to control it. No matter it's a 
interest or the credit or something, the, the flow of capital, you can control it totally. So if something happened like 2008 in China, I think the central bank have all the resource to stop the crisis, to expand. And so I think if something happened like that in China, since 2018, we have a lot of a large private company went to trouble, like Haihang, like the Huaxin, and, and we have some real estate developer, like, like the one you know in Hong Kong, went to trouble. I think the, the whole economy started deleverage from the 2008. There has a, you already know the debt problem for the whole economy. So we do these things before everyone says it is crisis. So in other words, the central bank, the People's Bank of China has been very proactive and early in addressing risks in the financial system. Yes. Okay, well, so we saw a lot of uh, the, the, the very high leverage problem. Uh, the company run into trouble. That's uh, the consequence of the deleverage. Because when the whole economy went to deleverage, a lot of the company with the high leverage will run into trouble. So I will see the problem. So to, I will see the problem company one by one. They will be good thing for our economy. So when foreigners read about a company going bankrupt, when they read about this in the Financial Times, you think that's actually evidence that the system is working? Actually, I think the system's working because I saw a lot of the policy to try to find out the risk first. Like last year, we have a concentration for mortgage for bank because we have a, a regular say you only have a 30, 32% of your whole loan portfolio can be mortgage. For bank, mortgage is good asset because you don't worry about the bad loan and it's really low, you know? You know how, how low the delinquent ring in mortgage? Less than 1%, maybe just just very low, very low. And then you have a very stable financial risk. Uh, you have a very stable customer and the price of the real estate is increased every year. So when bank try to absorb more assets like that, government say no. 30% is your limit. You saw the policies like that. I, I say it's working because I'm reading policy every day, like the Alipay was paid off from the IPO, something like that. I know there's, a, there's, there's a something need to do before a risk become a real risk. I, I feel that there's a, the whole process is working well. Simon, when you make an investment like this one in Postal Savings Bank, what is your investment time horizon? I don't say a uh, horizon for myself because I'm a mature investor. I invest the business because I think it was and it was still expanding. So actually, when I start my investment since 2016, I only invest maybe less than five companies. So when I invest the post bank, I feel that it's really cheap, just like you have no risk at all. And I invest all my money into one. This this different from the professional because you have exposure risk. You know you have you don't have so much so much high concentration. For me, if a post bank was taken down from the secondary market, it don't tell me the price every day. I still feel comfortable with the price I portray. And you give my dividend every year, and I read a new report. I'm not worried about anything. 
Okay. What then do you think Postal Bank will look like in five years' time? I think it will increase to probably in five years or 10 years, it will increase to the fourth largest bank in China. It has its challenge, but the portfolio, if it is state if you stay to the current strategy to do the safer lending, and I think you will become the fourth large bank in the in the in the economy. And I quite like him because it is very important for our economy and very important to help to help those SME and the the, the poor people in village. It's still a small loan, small loan, very small loan, a very famous bank in Pakistan or in. Uh, Bangladesh. They call it poor. Yeah, Bangladesh, the poor, poorest, com- uh, poorest bank. Uh, mm. I like that. Yeah. What do you think is the the bear case for Postal Bank? I think the bear the bear case is uh, expand is uh, is credit too fast. Maybe uh, now you have maybe forty percent of uh, its uh, deposit investment in money market uh, investor uh, in bond market. If he put those money maybe to the credit too fast, I think I will worry about that. And then so one thing I'm very concerned about is the real estate because a lot of his asset was tied to, to the price of the real estate in China. And yeah, a lot of the resource from mortgage, what will happen if the house market, the price drop a lot? What will happen like that? I think it will be very big risk for the whole China's bank, not just for Post Bank. But Post Bank will affect <laughs> very severely because you have so much weight on to the tie to the, the to to the real stake. So you're watching to make sure our management doesn't grow assets too fast, and you're also watching the real estate market closely. Yes, and I don't think the management have the right to do the to to change its credit policy very. Dramatically, because you have to understand, most bankers in China they are also official from government. You can say they are low efficiency on something, but they don't have motivate to do something like the crazy MNA or crazy. You know, they don't have incentive. That's what I think is quite safe for this respective. I think that's an underappreciated point, actually. The incentives in the Chinese banking system point towards more conservatism. If you have a bad loan, you have a record in our system. So for, for bankers, you, you can say that they are very conservative. They borrow money to against the SN because they personal, if you do something bad loan, you, you personal have a very big risk for yeah, some parts, partially I agree with what you say. You say because they they don't do their job because they so scared of a risk. But for investor, maybe that's a good thing because no one want to do something dramatically change the 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 current credit policy. So they will make a credit policy once it be formed. They will be executed for a long time. No, just say, okay, once you come in and say, oh, I don't want to do this, this one, I do want to do more real estate. I have a very good uh, example, just a, a, a Chinese bank. I, do, I don't want to give its name, but it do real estate very, very quickly in the last 10 years. And the CEO of the bank, he was my colleague. Actually, he was a, 
he was my boss when I was still working for a bank. So he did the things dramatically and dance. He made a mistake and consequence very, very bad for his personal because he was uh, taken down and probably will go to jail. So in other words then, Simon, it sounds like in five years' time, you expect Postal Bank to be much the same, just bigger. Is that right? Yeah. And so how do you think about your opportunity cost? I mean, most investors, foreign investors, when they think about China, are drawn to fast growth rates or technology companies. Why aren't you looking there? Why are you focused on these slow-moving banks instead? Because the price given me was really cheap. When <laughs> if the bank do something, for the bank just like what I thought, I will earn a lot of the profits. So the problem it is, uh, like, like I told you, I, my circle is quite narrow and I, I'm into investor. I don't care what others earn. I just care about what I understand and what I'm really comfortable about those things. So the price giving is so low. If the something just like what I thought about, I will earn a lot of profit. So why, why do I care? A lot of people earn money on on the platform company, on the something, the new energy company. I don't care. I just earn what, what I could. Simon, this has been very interesting. I think we should wrap it up here. Thank you so much for your time. Before we end, I'd like to ask you for a book recommendation. What's something you've read recently that you'd recommend? Oh, I have a really one. If you want to understand for the bank, I would I like to read the officer in Central Bank's book. And this one, it is Actually, it is the all the C, the CEO of a large bank and our our chairman of the central bank. What they saw about what happened in the last forty years, especially very helpful to understand our bank. Cool. Well, thank you again, Simon. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Grant. Have a nice day. That's good.